Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside World B, Michael Freer. And tonight we're thrilled to be also joined by special guest Alex Squadron. This is episode number 87, the Michael Cooper episode, as Cooper went on to win the 1987 Defensive Player of the Year Award with the Los Angeles Lakers. Playing elite defense is certainly a topic of conversation in tonight's guest new book. But before we tip things off with a formal introduction of tonight's guest, just a quick reminder, Bet Online is your number one source for all your playoff football odds, stats, trends, and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props, head to Bet Online today to stay updated on all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. And uh, with that, let's introduce tonight's guest. We're lucky enough to be joined by Alex Squadron, who joins us ready to discuss his New book, Life in the G. Let me get that in the camera there. (laughs) Minor League Basketball in the Relentless Pursuit of the NBA. Prior to writing his first book, Alex has worked as an associate editor for Slam Magazine and has covered stories on NBA stars and has reported on numerous marquee events, including the NBA Finals, NBA All-Star Weekend, and even the FIBA World Cup in China. Alex, thanks for joining us here tonight. We're definitely excited to discuss the book with you and... uh, this was your first big project, right? This was the first book. Well, first of all, thank you both so much for having me. Uh, this is a thrill for me. Um, yeah, this was, I won't say my first big project, a okay. project of this size for sure. Yeah. Um, I've never written anything even close to, to that length. So uh, first book and yeah, definitely new territory. Very cool there. So with the life of the G, one of the first questions I thought of uh, to, to have you back on the show after reading this was, uh, can you talk a little bit about what sparked your interest in this particular project and why you chose the Birmingham squadron of all teams? Yeah, um, I think the first thing was just the fact that nobody had done it. Um, you know, just given how essential the G league is to NBA teams now and how important it is just to kind of the everyday operations of an NBA team. It's just kind of shocking to me how little coverage there is of it. And uh, you know, even working at slam and um, you know, being a fan of basketball forever, how little even I knew about it. So um, I think the first thing was just like, this is a story that hasn't been told. And uh, for uh, in the sports world, um, you know, if you've been, if you're a books lover and, you know, follow the the sports world closely, you know, that there are very few topics that have gone completely uncovered. So that was, uh, that was the first thing that drew me to it. And then, you know, the other thing I've been saying is as a writer, I've always kind of been drawn to like the stories of the underdogs and the guys who are kind of grinding and, um, you know, kind of outside of the spotlight and outside of the glitz and glamor. And, um, you know, that's what the G league is all about. These guys are earning, uh, less than 40,000 the season that I was there. And they're one step away from their ultimate goal, their dream uh, of going to the NBA. So uh, those were the two things that that kind of drew me to it initially. Uh, and then uh, it sounds like, this sounds like a joke, but the Birmingham squadron just happened to have the same <laughs> name as, as my last name. And, um, you know, I kind of approached it as like, I wanted to be embedded with the team um, and then made a list of all the teams and then, when you make a list of all the teams and one of them is literally your name, that one kind of stands out above the rest. Sure. So, um, you know, I had a, a kind of a list of teams that I thought would work. Birmingham was at the top of it for just purely that odd coincidence. Um, reached out to the team with a bunch of backups and they were like totally on board, uh, 
pretty much right away. I mean, I, I kind of cool. um, reached out, I would say even late, like I, I should have kind of gone to them earlier and was just finalizing all my plans and figuring out if it would work for me. Um, and was very nervous that maybe I'd missed the window. And like, I heard back within days and uh, within a month, I think of even me sending that email, I was like packing my bags from New York and moving down to Birmingham. So um, it all worked out great. And, and that's just a huge shout out to everybody within that organization. And, uh, you know, also with they're, they're the affiliate of the Pelicans, people in New Orleans as well, who kind of had to give me the okay. So uh, yeah, that, that was that was really what what initially brought me to Birmingham. Alex, you mentioned how you you know obviously you covered uh, Birmingham and they they were in their inaugural season. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about you know just how unique it was to cover a team that's in their uh, initial season as opposed to somebody another team there that was more established, perhaps? Yeah, you know I should have mentioned that because that is another reason that I, that I was you know pushed to do Birmingham. Um, I, I would say it was second to the name thing, uh, but um, yeah, it, w- it was their first season um, in Birmingham. They they'd previously been in Erie. And so there was that element of like, what is a, a completely new franchise do to kind of embed itself in a community and to build a fan base. And especially when it's the minor leagues and, you know, people not only are thinking like, what's the Birmingham squadron, they're thinking, what's the G league. Um, so yeah. it's kind of double a challenge to, to try to introduce a minor league team. Um, you know, I, I think that it, I just kind of saw up close all those challenges and all the things that you have to do to try to, to just get your name out there. And in the minor leagues, a lot of that stuff is, you know, it's, it's you're selling less kind of the product on the floor and more kind of the family fun atmosphere and, um, you know, the approach of, of the organization in Birmingham and a lot of teams across the G league is like, you know, we're not really able to sell stars. We're not selling, um, you know, marketing players because players could be here one day and gone the next, or, you know, often the team is completely different the following season. So to be like, come see X player. And then, you know, next week he gets called up and it's like, well, we can't do that anymore. The approach is like, you know, this is just a fun night out for, for anybody, for families, for, um, you know, business people you want to come out, bring clients and stuff like that. Um, And it's just a way to kind of bring the community together for the price of, you know, a beer at Madison square garden (laughs) and see, uh, you know, close to NBA caliber basketball. So um, that was a a really cool thing to, to see up close as well. And uh, another layer to, to the narrative. Yeah. You're speaking of Birmingham, obviously uh, this is a minor league team. We're talking about G league. And they have an established, you know, they have a long history with baseball, the Birmingham Barons there. Right. Is there, do you think that had a positive impact on the, the impact on the community or the, the ability for the squadron to um, uh, get comfortable being a G League team in that city? Does that make sense? You know, no, no, for sure. The city being, having this, the uh, Barons for so long, obviously we know Michael Jordan played there years ago, right. but that was an established minor league team for, has been for a long time with a big following. How did that help out the G League version of you know Birmingham? Yeah, I think that you know they have a bunch of minor league teams in Birmingham. It's almost like the the minor league capital uh, because it you know it has it doesn't have the pro level, but they have minor league teams across pretty much all the major sports, um, and they just got a, a soccer team as well. So um, I think more so it it was information 
that the Pelicans used to kind of decide where, I mean, they were trying to figure out basically where do we put our, our team. Um, and uh, Birmingham appealed to them for a number of reasons. And one of them being like, they had this, this rich history of minor league sports and knew that there were people there who were passionate about sports. And I think when people think of Alabama, they immediately think football, right. uh, which makes a ton of sense. And even myself, like coming from New York, going down there, I was shocked at just how, like important football is to the whole state and Birmingham specifically as well. Um, but there is this, this history of having all these minor league teams that have been very successful. The Barons, you know, that that's a, a minor league team that most people have heard of, you know, and, and a lot of them are, are just not known at all. So, um, and obviously part of that is, is they had Michael Jordan and, uh, and so that, uh, that changes a lot of things. But um, I think for the Pelicans, it was, you know, Birmingham, we know that they can support a team, that they have uh, people who love sports and um, specifically as well. They had done research in the region and uh, for like nationally televised games, Birmingham and for local markets, like the, the ratings were really high. So um, they knew that people love basketball there. And, uh, you know, it, it was close enough to New Orleans and uh, everything just felt kind of perfect to, to put the team there. Now, throughout the book, you focused on four of the top squadron players throughout the season. That's Joe Young, the former Indiana Pacer. Malcolm Hill, who was recently just signed to a 10-day with the Pelicans yet again, which was kind of funny to see after reading your book. Yeah. Uh, Zylan Cheatham and Jared Harper. So, you know, since you started the book before Birmingham had even had their draft and knew what their roster was going to look like, would you consider yourself lucky that you got – paired with those four guys on that specific team? Because I feel like that was kind of just happen happenstance chance there, and you really lucked out getting four guys that kind of bought into uh, your story and, and giving you that extra time. I mean, 100%. Um, you know, I, I think a few things. One, like, I do think that across the G League, you've got guys with very compelling, unique stories. Mm -hmm. So I do think that if I was following a different team or this team had different players – that there would be, you know, characters that people would be rooting for and guys who have these very um, interesting kind of unknown backgrounds. So I, I wasn't worried that um, there wouldn't be interesting people and interesting stories sure. to follow. I was more worried that like, would these guys be open to me and um, would they be willing to share their stories with me to give me the time to go deep with me? I mean, as the season goes on and um, you know, as the book goes on as well. Like I think people can tell that like these guys were opening up more and, um, you know, willing to get kind of vulnerable and emotional about uh, the whole experience. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel very lucky that uh, one, that those guys were on the team. And then uh, two, that I ended up picking those guys because, you know, I went down there knowing I wanted to focus on, you know, probably four players, maybe three, maybe five, um, and maybe a month in was when I settled on, okay, I'm going to pour everything into these players. Like I, I, yeah. yeah, I interviewed everybody and, um, it was a hard kind of, you know, process of narrowing it down. And then, uh, the fact that I ended up choosing these guys and they were, um, I think they could tell obviously as the season goes on, I'm requesting to interview them every day and, uh, <laughs> asking them deeper and deeper questions that, okay, I think I'm a main character here, um, that they were, you know still willing and still open to, to giving me everything that I needed to, to write this book. So um, yeah, just a, a huge shout out to them and um, you know, having that access and having them being 
so open and, and honest and welcoming to me uh, made the book what it is. So um, I definitely feel lucky. Alice, what was your uh, one big takeaway after spending, you know, an entire full year covering, you know, one team in the G League? What, what was your, if you had one takeaway, what would, from this whole experience, what would it Man. be? It's a great question because I feel like normally I get the question where it's like a couple takeaways and I'm able to, but like the <laughs> one major one, I think it has to be. Um, if you have more than one, you're fine. It's a- I think, I think <laughs> the biggest one and the biggest surprise to me and I think to, to people who have read the book is the path to a call up for a G League player is a lot different than what I thought. And I think a lot different than what definitely the average fan. And I think even, you know, people who cover basketball would think um, I think there's a tendency to think that like the guys who put up the biggest stats who um, are essentially the stars of the G league, like who are running the show, you know, ball dominant guys who can go out there and get you 30. You know, those are the guys that are like, okay, that, that's the best player. That guy should get called up. Um, and what you realize is that, you know, those are often the guys that, that don't get, looked at um, because that's just not what NBA teams need. You know, they don't want a guy to come up uh, and take shots away from, you know, Luca or, uh, you know, LeBron AD. They don't want somebody to come up who is running a bunch of pick and rolls. Like that's not what they need. They need a guy who defends like very well, who is a great locker room presence, like the ultimate pro um, who can stand in the corner and has no problem standing in the corner and just shooting open threes when they come to them. Uh, so the way that they scout the G league and, and even the messaging within G league teams is like, you know, your path to the NBA is through a very specific role. Like don't think that you're going to score your way to the NBA. Your way to the NBA is, um, you know, through being a, a really good three and D player or uh, in the case of, uh, Jose Alvarado, who was um, on a two-way with the Pelicans this season that I was there, through being like the ultimate defensive pest and picking up 94 feet and, um, you know, hustling and creating chaos on the floor. Like, you know, his role is not one that uh, a lot of people who have been stars their entire lives are willing to do, you know, to just be the guy who's uh, picking up 94 feet. So um, I think just like the the path to the NBA and how much that's kind of um, – a part of a G league team's message from day one was surprising, you know, essentially telling these guys that they come in there and like the coaches are telling them right away, like you want to get to the NBA, you're never going to be the man again, like get rid of your ego. Um, and uh, I think I just, it was surprised that that was, um, you know, kind of what, what it would take to get there. It's less doing more. And it's more like accepting that you have to do less. Um, and uh, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, the path that you talk about, Alex, you know, getting to from the minors, you know, in this case, the G League to the NBA, it's so much different than what we are used to seeing from baseball. Baseball, right. you take a young player, they gradually go through the system. And then we, we see it now all the time on social media, the young kid gets the call up and everybody celebrates or whatever. It certainly doesn't appear to be that way when you're in the G League. You're if you're a young player and you're a uh, high draft pick or whatever, you're on the you're on the roster. Talk about you know how that differs. You know the, the differences between the two in the you know, both minor league organizations, but there's 
like you say, a different path. It's a much different path for the G League. Right. You know, I, I don't know much about minor league baseball, uh, but like totally. I mean, I think the major difference to me is like minor league baseball has been around forever. And, you know, there's an understanding that like that even top prospects in the MLB, they're going to spend time in the minors and, and uh, you know, just kind of work their way up uh, in the NBA. That hasn't always been the case. I think it's increasingly becoming the case that, you know, first round picks, lottery picks, uh, they're maybe not expecting, but they're not surprised to be sent to the G league at this point. Like that, that's kind of um, more and more just baked into the operation of, of an NBA team. Um, the, the experiences are very similar in terms of like, you know, you're, pursuing this dream and grinding and dealing with all these, uh, you know, obstacles that um, would shock people just because it's, it's affiliated with the glitz and glamor of the MLB or the NBA. Um, But yet I think like, to your point, like I think the, in the minors, my understanding is like, yeah, like if you're, if you're putting up the stats, you know, if, if you're hitting the most home runs and you're like, you're, you know, you're just basically clearly the best player there. That's what's yep. going to, that's how you get promoted. Um, and in the NBA, it's like, it's, I'm not going to say it's the opposite, but it's like, you have to put up the numbers, but prove that there's a million other things that you bring to the table um, beyond on the court stuff. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I, I've heard stories from GD guys where it's like that they were asked to come up just to, you know, be friends with Tim Duncan, like be somebody that Tim Duncan likes, or, um, you know, I I talked to Theo Pinson who, uh, he's kind of carved out this role a little bit as like the ultimate hype man on the bench. And like, that's something that NBA like coaches, NBA executives, they value that stuff and they scout for that stuff. And so, um, you know, there's so much that goes into it and, and, uh, you know, outside of just how do you perform on the court? It's, uh, it's a lot. It's a lot more than than I thought. Alex, can you talk a little bit about just um, what I find fascinating about the G League and kind of experience in my time in the league as well? You touched on it in the book with some of the players not getting a call up when they thought they might be getting the ring from their agent uh, for a team. Talk a little bit about just how teams reward players within their system and maybe call them up for 10 days with no intention of playing them, but to obviously help them out financially. Are you able to discuss some of that and what you learned throughout that experience? Totally. I think that there is, look, it's like any organization, you know, it's any place that you work. Like if you're performing well, you get a bonus, you know, you you get, uh, you get rewarded in some way. And, And the teams that take care of their players, you know, that's a good look. That's a good way of building the right culture. And um, for sure, I saw it and, and you see it kind of every day in the G League. Yep. Guys get 10-day contracts. Um, they don't play. They come up and they spend maybe three games sitting on the bench or uh, the season that I was there, some guys got 10 days and didn't even leave the G League team. You know, they, they basically yeah. just got a check. Yep. Um, and look, like it, it's – it's the same thing. It's rewarding players for doing the right things. And, um, you know, you want players to obviously wherever they go on their journey, speak highly of your organization. Uh, and hopefully if you believe in them, which if you're giving them a 10 day contract, you're signing them to your G league team, you believe in them, you want them to stick around and you want them to, to kind of love being a part of your organization. And so, um, I think there is more to it 
than just like, you know, oh, it, uh, it's very rare. I think that 10 day contracts, a guy comes up, it is like, oh, you're, you're backing up, you know, X player tonight. Like you're going to play 20 minutes. Like that's rare. It's more like this guy's performing well. Let's give him a little bonus and then, um, you know, bring him up. And in the event that we need him or there's a blowout and we're able to get a look at him or can look at him at practice or shoot around for a few days, um, you know, that's beneficial as well. But uh, yeah, I think it's no different than like, you know, getting a bonus when you're doing well at your job. Alice, when it comes to writing a book, a project of this, uh, this nature, what was your biggest challenge? What, or what, what was the toughest thing for you to to do you obviously you said it was your first wasn't your biggest challenge or it wasn't you know you've had big challenges before you said but in terms of uh writing a book you said it was your first experience what was the biggest challenge to you or what did what was the hardest thing about writing a book in general yeah. i mean i know yeah no like, it's, it's uh definitely a ch- like a challenge from start to finish uh, but i think the big the hardest thing for me and like i was completely oblivious to the process and um, I don't want to say winging it, but close to winging it. <laughs> uh, and so like, it, I, you know, I wish I knew obviously what I know now when I started, but I think for me just navigating, you know, I, I obviously have covered the NBA. I've interviewed you know, players in the NBA and players in the G league before, but navigating being around a team for an entire season and being embedded and um, knowing one that I don't need to get all of the information right away uh, you know, I have this, this six months, seven months where I have access to these guys. And also knowing that like, I, ideally they don't even know that I'm there. You know, I, I want them to have the experience. Uh, I want it to be as authentic as it can possibly be. And the, the best way to do that is to be like a fly on the wall. Like I don't want them to act differently because there's a reporter there. Right. Um, so it's, it's, kind of figuring out day to day, like, okay, I need to, to talk to this person. I need to ask about this thing that happened. Um, but also like, you know, if I talk to this person today, um, is it too much or are they going to start, you know, close being closed minded and, and not wanting to, to disclose certain things. And am I, am I asking too much right now? And, uh, is that going to hurt my access later on? And like, uh, you know, these are things every day that, you know, maybe I'm stressing over them more than I should have, but I certainly was, was thinking about them and um, just trying to figure out, uh, yeah, kind of day to day, how do I structure this thing? So that seven months from now, I have everything I need. Um, and I feel like I captured, you know, the GD experience as honest and authentic as I possibly could. So um, I know that that, I don't know if that like answer no. your question directly, yeah. but like, I think just navigating the day to day and figuring out how to organize everything and, and not come on too strong too early and, and mess up, um, you know, the flow of the entire season. So. And, and Alex, not only did you cover a team in their first inaugural year in the G league, but you just so happened to also start your project and follow the G league season with the team during the craziest year we've all ever seen with COVID pandemic that uh, took place. So my question to you, I don't want to obviously spoil too much of the book where you do talk a lot about some of the, the COVID protocols and some of the players that were affected by that. Um, but my question is, did you ever catch COVID and have to place yourself in some of the COVID protocols that some of the players that you uh, had highlighted had to staying back in hotels or missing flights, things of that nature? It's funny because I, I had a sense that, reading the book people would think like 
oh man, like this is tough. Like how is he navigating this? And does, does this come up as a problem for him? Um, to answer your question, I did get COVID. Um, okay. And my biggest fear during that entire stretch was me getting COVID and then obviously putting any of the players or the team at risk because yeah. I knew that they were so close to their dreams. Um, and like, you know, for me to be following them, trying to get there, and then for me to be the problem would have been just like, I couldn't even wrap my head around it. So um, I was so nervous about the whole thing, was so careful, um, you know, and, and I was doing all the things that the team was doing. Like I was getting tested by the team. And uh, when they got boosters, I got boosters. And I was staying far away and masking and everything. Um, and I just happened to get it. We had kind of, uh, everyone went their separate ways for essentially, there's like a Christmas break and they prolonged the Christmas break uh, because of everything that was going on. And, um, you know, just wanted to give teams time to safely return players and to also fill out their rosters because all of a sudden all these guys were going to the NBA. Uh, and I remember I, like went back to, you know, I was traveling a bunch. I went to Vegas for the showcase. I actually went to, without spoiling too much, went to follow a few players who got called up to the NBA. And so I had been kind of bouncing around and felt fine. And then I finally get to North Carolina where my family is. And I'm like, I don't feel great. Um, <laughs> this could have finally happened. And, and in a way I was like, kind of relieved that it happened when I was home and I, I wasn't going to, you know, I, I, could just quarantine safely and um, wasn't going to be around the team. And so I spent, you know, 10 days at home quarantining and then rejoined the team uh, at the beginning of January. So did eventually get COVID. It felt like at that time, uh, if you were around the G league or just around, I think any crowd of people with Omicron, it felt almost inevitable. Um, and so uh, I felt uh, at least like relieved that it happened when I wasn't around everybody and uh, wasn't, putting anybody's career, you know, that call up at risk. So. Alice, you talk about the players in your book that you focus on the players, whatever. What was your uh, impression of what it's like being a coach in the G league from that? You know, obviously I'm sure you, you know, you obviously ran into them. You spoke to them. What, what was your impression of what life is like as a coach in the G league? Yeah, you know, it's super interesting because everybody in the G League, players, coaches, executives, announcers, referees, equipment managers, they're all trying to get to the NBA. And, um, you know, for a coach, like, I think every coach would say, and the coach that I followed, uh, Ryan Pannone, he was the one who really told me this, was like, you know, th their main job is to develop players for the NBA. So, like... Right the like biggest accomplishment would be guys getting called up that, yeah. that, but also like if the coach is being evaluated, like wins matter and, uh, and, you know, getting the team to play team basketball matters. And, um, you know, so there's all of these layers to it. And uh, I think that the frustration for the coach that I followed and for, I, I imagine coaches all across the G league and um, any coach who's really not in the NBA is that, you know, I think that the uh, blueprint for a player to get to the NBA, while it's extremely difficult and there's so many components to it, it's a little bit more clear. And it's, um, you know, I think Coach Pannon would say he, he could tell a guy, you know, like a Malcolm Hill, who's one of the main characters, he could tell Malcolm Hill, 
do X, Y, and Z, and that's going to increase your chances of getting to the NBA. But after doing all this research and trying to figure out his own formula, like he couldn't really figure it out, you know, have the most wins. Is that what they're looking for? Um, have the best offense, develop guys for the NBA. Uh, you know, it, it, in a lot of ways, that pursuit of the NBA for a coach, even when you're in the G League and, and you're right on the doorstep, is uh, is even more frustrating because it's just like, you know, how do you crack in there? Um, so I think that, um, you know, I, I just admire how much stress is on coaches in the G League and obviously how much more you have to deal with. Uh, it's a lot harder when you're flying commercial and playing four games in five nights and, um, you know, just dealing with stuff that, that is not what an NBA head coach would deal with day to day. Um, there's so much more that goes into it. And uh, when you're doing all those things and just are not entirely sure of, um, you know, how to get into the NBA and how to achieve your dream, I think it can be a very difficult and uh, frustrating experience. But um, yeah, I, I know that was super long winded, but, but just no, how challenging the reason I ask that is because just like we've talked about with minor league baseball with players, the difference it's, you know, being a manager in the minor league level is a lot mm-hmm. different than just being a major league manager for the, exactly the reasons you say you're there to develop players or you have to deal with things that major leaguers managers don't have to deal with. Like right. a superstar that's injured comes down to double a AA or triple a to rehab. And now you got a roster full of young kids. And now I got to make sure this guy gets his at bats, or I got to make sure this guy throws on the mound. It seems like you know th- there are other factors that go into being a G League coach, being a successful G League coach, in the same manner as minor league manager. That's kind of where I was leading with that question. No, definitely, that, that's a great point. The, how much your roster fluctuates, and then you know you're not managing egos in the same way you are in the NBA. But what you're managing is you know a guy comes down from the NBA and there's an agenda. You know, Trey Murphy gets assigned from the Pelicans to the squadron. They want Trey to work on specific things. They want Trey to play 30 plus minutes. Um, and there is a lot of synergy between NBA teams and, and G League affiliates in that, like, he can be slotted into the system. And, uh, you know, it's not at least hard for, for him to kind of mesh with the offense and stuff like that. But then you're handling that, like, he's taking 30 minutes from a guy who might have been that close to getting called up. And, and that guy is, like, justifiably frustrated. Um, so there's that aspect and then you're managing the locker room and then, you know, on the other side of it, like you could be preparing to face a team and then a couple hours before the game, they send down three players and all of a sudden you're facing three NBA players uh, yeah. and you've been game planning to to face, you know, a G League squad. So, yeah. um, you know, in terms of game planning and then, you know, managing all the kind of changing things around you that um, in a lot of cases you have very little control over. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, I would say the most challenging coaching job you can possibly have just from seeing it up close. So, um, yeah, it was definitely crazy to follow. Now to kind of piggyback off that the one word after reading your book that really came to mind, how I could sum it all up as far as everything I just uh, was trying to absorb was adjustments. I mean, the adjustments from travel roles, uh, paychecks, game plans. And as you detailed in your book, even top college and professional players having to adjust their games in order mm-hmm. to give them a better chance to, to make the NBA, as you had touched on earlier in our conversation. But out of all the adjustments, Alex, I mean, 
which one did you witness and which one did it like shock you the most? Like, what did you learn? Which adjustment was like, whoa, I just never even realized that was so in- impactful for better yeah. or for worse. <laughs> no, no, totally. And I think that's like a great, like adjustments is, a, I think, a great word to sum up everything. It just like <laughs> really, like you better be ready to adjust to day to day. And then I, I think the one that stands out to me the most, and I touched on it earlier is just having to adjust your, your mindset completely. Like most of these guys have been star. I mean, all of them really have been stars their entire basketball careers. Um, They might not have been, you know, the guy in college, but they were definitely a V guy in high school and um, in college, trust me, they were getting their shots and they were uh, they were playing big roles if they're now in the G league. So to, to then go from that to, being told right away you get to the G League that like that's that's over you know yep <laughs> like you're telling guys who have always been stars that you're never going to be a star again and part of the reason they got there in the first place is believing in themselves and believing that you know having kind of uh, that ultimate confidence like you know mm-hmm. you have to have kind of like a, a cockiness to get to the G League in the first place for sure uh, and so you get there and then all of a sudden it's like uh, you know you're basically telling these guys like not lose your confidence, but like, that's it. Like you're not, you're not going to be a star. And if you really are serious about getting to the NBA, like your path to getting there is accepting that and then being willing to adjust. Um, So I think just adjusting, you know, the mindset from, okay, I've been a star. And now all of a sudden, like I'm in the G league, you know, essentially I'm a nobody. And for me to, to prove myself uh, I've got to change everything. Um, that's, a that's, you know, I think people can look at that from the outside and be like, well, they're telling these guys to do less, you know, they, they play smaller roles and, you know, they could potentially then make $15 million a season. Like what's so hard about that? Like, yeah. Like if you've been a star your whole life and then somebody tells you all of a sudden that you're never going to be a star again, and you've been believing that, and that's how you got there. Th- that's a lot harder than, than most people think it is. So no question. Um, I think that that, that just adjusting the, the complete mindset and, uh, you know, approach to the game is kind of fascinating. Alex, I just have kind of a simple question, I, I suppose, but I'm just curious. Teams in the G League that are, in your case, they were minor leagues for the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Now you have Willie Green, who has a set offense, has a set defense at the NBA level. Does the G League, their coaches expected to follow the similar philosophies as as what the NBA does in 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 the case of uh, you call somebody up, there's not as big of adjustment. Is it, does that happen a lot or do the coaches of the G league have, have their own way they want to run their offenses? It sounds a little yeah. simplistic, but I'm just curious if, if once they get up there, you know, you bring somebody up for a 10 day and they have to learn a whole new offense. It could right. be a real big pain in the butt. No, I think that they, um, I think G league coaches, like they have freedom to implement their own plays and, um, you know, they might have slightly different philosophies, but if, you know, the coach of the squadron and the coach of the Pelicans had completely different like views of the game and running completely different sets. And, you know, one of them wanted to play a slow kind of, you know, walk the ball off the court and one of them wanted to push, 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 like it, it wouldn't work. They wouldn't, right. they wouldn't aim to have that because you want to have, going with that. Yeah, that, yeah, that you wanna have it be seamless, you know, if guys come down and guys go up, you know, the interesting thing is when, you know, like a uh, 
player on the squadron gets called up because you can get called up to any team gets called up to the heat. Right. Now all of a sudden that guy's expected to learn the full playbook and system for the heat oftentimes in like a couple of days. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it's not, there's no, like, you know, if you don't know it, like, Oh, you know, he just got here. It's you better know it because right. uh, if you don't, you know, we'll call somebody else out. No problem. So um, I spoke to um, Troy Daniels, who I don't know if you guys remember, but he, yep. Sure. He uh, was with the Rockets affiliate, Rio Grande Valley Vipers, and he got called up and ended up like making this huge shot in the playoffs, played a a role for the Rockets in that playoff run. And he told me that like the biggest thing for him was that the Vipers were playing the same system. And so when he came up, nothing really changed. I mean, obviously the the amount that he was kind of featured and, um, you know, he, he wasn't taking as many threes as he was in, in, the G league as he was in the NBA, but like he could just go up there and he knew exactly where to be. He knew how fast they were moving. Um, and he was able to play this role basically, you know, just coming up and, and getting thrown out there. Um, so I think that, that that's a perfect example of like the fact that they had been playing a similar system allowed this guy to thrive right away and to play a role for them uh, when they needed him in the playoffs. So uh, it's just uh, the, more, the more they can do to make it seamless, the better. Now, Alex, last question here before we do take a quick break, uh, before having some fun with you in our second half here. Having experienced the life in the G firsthand, if you could make one change to the G League, what would that be? Man, one change to the G League. I think, look, I, I think it's no like surprise that the conditions need to improve and the salaries need to improve. Um and I think across the board, like everybody kind of knows that and there's a push to, to make things better um, because, you know, one of the, the major kind of themes of uh, I'll say like life on the fringes of the NBA is that players are forced to make this decision between the G League and overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what they're deciding between as it stands right now is chasing their dream because the G League gives you the best chance to get to the NBA or chasing a, a much bigger contract um, and, and a much kind of more comfortable life. So um, the more that the G League can do to, to make that decision easier for players and, and make it so that they're maybe not sacrificing as much uh, by going the G League route, um, you know, you're just going to see, and you're already seeing it, but you're going to see more and more talented players being in the G League. And the talent level is increasing every year as the salaries go up. Um, so I think like, as somebody who's a massive fan of the G league now and and just thinks overall, like people should be watching the G league more and it it needs more attention. And, and, you know, I I think as a fan, like I'm like, if you can go watch these guys for $20 and sit almost courtside, like you're, if you're a real fan, like that should be the the coolest thing ever. Like you should really want to do that. Um, You know, I think like anything they can do to, to get those guys who they lose to overseas to stay, um, and, uh, and make it so that they're not losing out on potentially, you know, in some cases life-changing or, uh, certainly uh, contracts that, that set them up a lot better for the future. Um, that would make a huge difference. So, uh, that's one change. Gotcha. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, Alex. We're going to come back, have some fun real quick and, uh, go ahead and send you off with uh, a nice challenge. <laughs> Love it. All right. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with the start of our brief second half. But before we let Alex go, we want to have some fun with one of our favorite challenges here on the show, and that is our 
live pack break of NBA basketball cards. All right. So it's completely fair. It's never been opened. I don't know what players are here. Would you like to go first or second, Alex? I'll give you that as our guest. Would you like World B to go first to try to get the hang of things here? Yeah, I'll go second. I'll go second. All right. All right. Here we go. Really had to twist his arm there. I don't, <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know what the game is right now. So nobody does. Okay. All right. All right you, you got an easy first one. World B. Oh. Tyrese Halliburton. Oh come oh. on. <laughs> Tyrese is. Uh, he's becoming a main figure this season, uh, along with being you know an MVP candidate and an All NBA First Team candidate. He's becoming a big figure in this load management rule that has come into play. Uh, because of his injury and how much it could be end up costing him uh, about forty or fifty million on it on a contract for a supermax uh, for the, one of these guys when they make an All NBA team their max their contract becomes a supermax and uh, he's becoming one of the main players and he's getting a lot of attention these days because of it I'm sure that's not the reason he wants to get attention but uh, his play on the court is you know goes without saying he's an unbelievable assist a turnover guy for a guy yep. his uh for a guy that that great he's not somebody who plays you know plays 30 40 minutes a night gets you 10 assists a night and only two or turnovers a night or something two or three turnovers that's incredible for a guy who touches the ball like that all right alex you're up next i do want to let you know you do not have to to speak as long as that on each guy yeah, just I was, if you're i was gonna say i thought you were gonna pull it up and I was going to say, point guard, Indiana Pacers. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> That's what it was. But if, if, okay. you get in the, if you get in the zone on someone, feel free to, to, okay. to go on like we'll right. be there. I'm hoping we but get this, a former G League guy. This is a former G League guy <laughs> for go. you. Jalen Williams, but this is Jalen with I-N. Okay, awesome. I saw him play in the G League. So what I can say is that I think he was even there. It might have been his rookie season, but I definitely saw him play in the showcase. Okay. And all I'll say is that. I think that the name thing and the fact that there is a Jalen who is turning <laughs> into a, a star for Oklahoma City, don't let that fool you. This Jalen can also definitely play. And, and I remember being surprised. I didn't. I wasn't that familiar with his game, but how versatile he was. Like yeah. He was hitting threes when I saw him in Showcase. Um, he's massive when you see him. Like he's like super strong. Um, I think that people are going to hear from this Jalen as well uh, very soon. And uh don't let the fact that there's another Jalen who's kind of killing it out there distract from everything that this Jalen brings to the table. I think that was a great, uh, great outlook I'll there because I, I definitely agree. Blue. He's a he's a guy that can can really stretch the floor with his three point shooting for that team and their five out offensive system. They All right, that. World B. Yeah, Evan Mobley. I think he just returned oh. to the court. Just returned to the court. They've been yeah, you know, Cavs have been doing great without him on the court, but he they definitely need him. Yeah. Uh, Great rebounder, great big man in the middle. He and Jared Allen form a really good duo, a unique duo in this era of the NBA. So, yeah, the Cavs have been going great without him. Now he's back. As they get pieces together, you know, they can make a serious run, it looks like, in the East. So uh, glad to see him back on the court. He's a terrific player. Uh, got a, you know, I hate the word, but I'm going to use it anyway, upside. <laughs> to him, uh, I, I can't stand that word, but I, I, I just used it. That's that's just great. <laughs> so, but I think his potential—he has a chance of becoming an all-star down the road if he stays healthy. I think he's got that potential. All right, Alex, I picked another good card here for you. Imani you Bates. 
Oh, love it. Love it. These are perfect, man. I, uh, these <laughs> they are actually are because he gets all the good ones. I, okay, <laughs> I get the easy ones. Yeah, Evan Mobley. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'll go way back because Imani Bates, when I was at Slam, we put him on the cover as a, as a high school kid. I remember he came to our offices and uh, I just like, I remember watching his highlight videos, just blown away at the talent. I mean, yeah. like, honestly, like, I remember thinking when we were putting him on the cover, um, and I can't remember what the cover line was, but thinking like, this guy is like the next KD, like, just like, and really believe in that. And he was super young at the time and just killing it. Um, and when he came to the offices, he was just like so tall and his game was so smooth. Um, and I know that there's been a number of factors that have kind of contributed to him. Uh, I think he fell to the second round, yep. got drafted by Cleveland. And I think he's on a two way right now. Yep. Um, but he is, is obviously spending a lot of time with, uh, the charge, the, the Cavs affiliate and absolutely killing it. I mean, people who aren't tapped into the G league, this dude is like, just like instant offense, um, can do everything, uh, score at all three levels. Um, and I think people are, are finally seeing, um, you know, all that potential, uh, and, and maybe, you know, noticing that like he can actually do damage at, at the NBA level very soon. So, and he's still super young. Uh, so from that slam cover to now, I've kind of been following him and, um, you know, not to keep hammering the same point, uh, but I think people will, will definitely see Imani Bates making an impact in the NBA. Um, and I think, uh, that's probably a lot sooner than, than most people would expect because he's, he's already dominating the G league. Yeah. I think he had a first, uh, successful Vegas summer league and helping the Cavs win the championship. Uh, this summer and I, I would expect him to be back and I think he'll probably really stand out this year after a year in the G League. I definitely. think he, he could definitely be a breakout player next year in the NBA. All right, World B, you're going to like this young guy. Brandon Miller. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was one of my favorites coming, you know, watch him in the summer league. Uh, when he got drafted, he looked like he could have some staying power and he got off to a really good start. Uh, he had a little bit of a lull and much like the team and, <laughs> and he's, but he's picked it up lately. Uh, and he's going to make the, I think he's going to make the all, all rookie team. I don't think he's going to be in the, at the beginning of the season, I predicted he would finish runner up to, uh, for the M, uh, rookie of the year, excuse me, between either whoever got it, Wemby or Chet, but Chet has been so dominating for a rookie at, uh, with Oklahoma city. I think Brandon Miller will obviously not finish in the top two. It will probably finish third or, or a little further down. But uh, he's got a future with, with the Hornets. He's got a future in this league. He's got to work on his shot a little bit more. He's a little streakier, but, you know, that's life in the NBA. You, get, you know, make adjustments, work on your game, and become a – with his athleticism, if he develops a serious outside shooter, he he's going to be a tough, tough uh, guy there. Yeah, no question about it. Well, this next guy, Alex, is perfect for you because I've heard enough about him from World B, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on his newest team. That is R.J. Barrett. Wow. Okay. And be nice because he deserves it. <laughs> this is, like, emotional for me. So I'm I'm a huge Knicks fan. Okay. Um, And uh, look, like, I've just been, like, such a huge R.J. supporter, defender, Um. Like, I just think the thing that stands out to me about him and that I've always said to people when, you know, obviously there's reasons to question, you know, he was the third pick. Um, 
often he goes into these like epic shooting slumps that uh, certainly like make people flip on him pretty quickly. Um, but the the thing <laughs> the thing that sorry, I did. Yeah. look, it's totally reasonable. I think the thing that that has always stood out to me about him, and I interviewed him as well for Slam, is that he is fearless. Like he he really is fearless, and and he's like a, he will put in the work to. He he loves basketball, and I know that that sounds like I think most people roll their eyes when they hear that because you say that about everybody, but everybody who's ever been around this guy speaks to like, he's going to get better every year because he puts in the work. And honestly, when, when the playoffs come around, he was huge for us, the playoffs, because he was fearless. He was, Um, And like when those were, when the game was on the line and we couldn't get offense or Julius was struggling, RJ would attack the rim and he would create something uh, out of nothing. So um, all of that is to say, like we made the trade and like RJ and quickly are two of my favorites. Um, and, uh, I was like, you know, sad to see them go. And now we're like, uh, we can't lose. Uh, so, so, so I feel like it's been, it worked out. Great. It's definitely yeah. worked out, but, um, <laughs> yeah, they, like RJ gave us so many great memories and huge RJ fans. So, uh, I do think that he's going to continue to get better. And, and, you know, I, I think he's certainly to me, like an, an all-star caliber talent, um, whether or not he ever makes it, um, you know, we'll see, but he, he certainly can, uh, if he's shooting well, uh, can score with the best of them. So a huge RJ fan. No doubt. He's been rebounding the ball quite well with Toronto too. Uh, that's been nice to see. All right. We'll be on misses. Oh, stop it. He's been, he's been shooting <laughs> great in Toronto. Lonnie Walker. Very good. Very good player. Um, I'm double checking here. Spurs now, correct? Where'd he go? Um, no, he's on the Nets. Oh shoot, shoot, shoot! Yes, yeah. like uh, he having trouble getting a lot of minutes there. If I remember last time I looked up the Nets for a uh, report, uh, but he said, "Yeah, he's a guy. You know, he's got to hit his shots to get on the court. And uh, if he's not hitting, he's not going to see time on the court. It's as simple it's as that when it comes to Lonnie, but." Uh, yeah, I think uh, he's got to be able to hit his shot, like we just mentioned with RJ, but in a much smaller scale. He's got to be able to hit shots uh, to get on the court. I try to remember. I just wrote a Nets report and and for somebody, and uh, trying to look up the numbers. And yeah, he's just yeah, like I say, he's got to be able to shoot to get on the court, uh, stay on the court. Um, but he's on the right team. He's on the right team. If you can if you can hit shots, there, there's plenty of opportunities on the Nets right now to get to get on the court. Yeah. All right, Alex. Last one. It's a good one for you. De'Aaron Fox. Okay. I would honestly, I would have liked Lottie. Lottie was a uh, because oh. I did a story on Lottie. Um, oh, bummer. Well, you 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 do an extension on Lottie, and I can take De'Aaron Fox here on the bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me let me just throw this out there really quick. De'Aaron Fox is amazing. Uh, he's so fast. He's an incredible player. Uh, I'll do a quick thing on Lottie because I remember I wrote he was the first. Uh, he was the first story I did for slam where I like traveled to to oh, do wow. the story. So that was like a very, to me, like the coolest thing ever. Like I had always yeah. kind of dreamed of, um, you know, being a journalist. And and I think that that's when it kind of hits you like, Oh my God, I'm like going to San Antonio and we're doing a photo shoot with Lonnie. And um, so I always just like, I'm rooting for Lonnie because of that. And he was so nice to me. And I was just like young reporter, probably like sweating and so nervous about the whole thing. But 
Uh, he was just such a good guy. And uh, the story was about how he's basically, we call him the most interesting rookie in the world because he has this like, just, um, just so many interests outside of basketball that people kind of don't know about. So uh, I haven't, you know, I need to dig up this story again. This is not like all coming back to me, but like, <laughs> you know, like conversations we were having that day were just not about basketball at all. We like barely talked about basketball. We're talking about animals and shows that he loves. And he's like quoting full office episodes to be back to <laughs> me. And we're like, um, you know, talking about all of his kind of goals for his life outside of basketball, which I thought was so interesting. Um, and just such a good guy. So, uh, yeah, he had the, the crazy hair back then and it looks a lot different now, but, um, yeah, I always just like, uh, am rooting for him because of that experience. So that's my Lonnie story. <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that one and going quick on deer and Fox. That was, uh, really <laughs> I feel like that's one. appropriate for De'Aaron, right? Like a real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. Just get it done. So, uh, awesome stuff. Uh, Alex, we really do appreciate you stopping by the 48 minutes podcast for sharing more inside your book, life in the G minor league basketball and the relentless pursuit of the NBA. Uh, can you tell all our listeners where they can find your book? Yeah, for sure. Um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, my publisher's University of Nebraska Press. It's available on their website as well. Uh, pretty much anywhere books are sold, you can find it. So, uh, cool. It's out now. And do you have any other projects on the horizon? Working on book two, hopefully. Nice. Uh, so, putting together some uh, some early stuff for that, and uh, have like a an idea kind of working through it now. So, book one didn't deter me from book two. So, hopefully, uh, more on that soon. Awesome. <laughs> Well, good luck with all of that. And again, thanks for coming by. How can all our listeners uh, follow you on social? And then we'll go ahead and close this thing out. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. Uh, that card thing was the most fun thing I've done on a podcast, I think, ever. <laughs> um, uh, you, I'm on Twitter, Alex underscore squadron, and on Instagram, I think it's my Instagram, A squad 510, I believe, something like that. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that, I'm, I'm there. You can find me there. Cool. My website is alexsquadron.com for my writing. Perfect. Well, make sure you guys go and give Alex a follow. Check out his book, Life in the G. Alex, thanks for stopping by. And for that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.